Welcome to Exploring the Catechism of the Council of Trent in a Year. I'm Mark Langley, and today is day eight in our series. And as promised, we are going to talk about the word Father in the first article of our faith when we say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, in Latin, credo, in unum deum patrem omnipotentem. And as the Catechism points out to us, such is the wisdom packed into, the, into our creed, that really every single word in our creed deserves special attention. Every word is there for a reason and has great significance. So in previous episodes, we talked about the word I believe, then we talked about in unum deum and one God, and now we're talking about really the third word here, patrem, the Father. And so we are going to read the part, um, it's page 20 in my uh, copy of the Catechism, where the subheading is the Father. So let us read. As God is called Father for more reasons than one, we must first determine the more, the more appropriate sense in which the word is used in the present instance. God is called Father because the, he is the creator and ruler. Even some on whose darkness the light of faith never shone conceive God to be an eternal substance from whom all things have their beginning, and by whose providence they are governed and preserved in their order and state of existence. Since, therefore, he to whom a family owes its origin and by whose wisdom and authority it is governed is called father, so by an analogy derived from human things, these persons gave the name father to God, whom they acknowledged to be the creator and governor of the universe. The sacred scriptures also, when they wish to show that to God must be ascribed the creation of all things, supreme power and admirable providence, make use of the same name. Thus we read, Is not he thy father that hath possessed thee and made thee and created thee? And have we not all one father? Hath not one God created us? And so there we have uh, an interesting point about the word father. Uh, the Catechism says that, Really, it's from our human experience in which we think of the father as the one from whom the, he's the origin of the family, and he also is the one uh, whose wisdom is supposed to govern the family. And so, by a proportion, since God is the one who is the origin of creation, we call him the father, and since he is also the one by whose wisdom that creation is ordered to its proper end, um, therefore, he bears the aspect of the human father that we know. And so we can sort of see that the, again, we see the invisible things of God are known by the things that are made there. Um, so that's, that's uh, the first paragraph. Uh, we'll continue. But God, particularly in the New Testament, is much more frequently and in some sense peculiarly called the father of Christians, who, quote, have not received the spirit of bondage again in fear, but have received the spirit of adoption of sons of God, whereby they cry, Abba, Father. For the Father hath bestowed upon us that manner of charity that we should be called and be the sons of God. And if sons, heirs also, heirs indeed of God, and joint heirs with Christ, who is the firstborn amongst many brethren, and is not ashamed to call us, brethren. And so there we see many citations from St. Paul's letter to the Romans. And 
Um, the Catechism con continues, whether therefore we look to the common title of creation and providence or to the special one of spiritual adoption, rightly do the faithful profess their belief that God is their father. Now, there we see that the Catechism of the Council of Trent provides us with at least three reasons to call God the Father. The first reason, as we said, was the fact that he created us and is the origin of our existence. And the second reason is that it's by his providence that we are um, guided to our end. And then they, the third reason they give is that um, it's this notion of spiritual adoption. So all of these, all of these um, reasons why we call God the Father are also based, um, I, I can see from a footnote here in my edition, uh, that it refers us to St. Thomas Aquinas' Summa Theologica, again in part one, the prima pars, as we say, um, article 33, ra rather, question 33, articles two and three. And so I thought it would be worthwhile just to quickly take a look at that article and see how closely the Catechism of the Council of Trent, how the authors were following the Summa, as we said before, the Summa of St. Thomas, and scripture appeared to be um, fundamental texts that guided the thought of the Council of Trent and especially the authors of this catechism. And so in that article, uh, the third article, we see that um, the title of the article um, in the Summa is whether this name Father is applied to God firstly as a personal name. The the um, St. Thomas actually talks about the meaning of the word father and, um, and fatherhood and what paternity means. And we'll look at this a little bit further when we look at the um, Trinity and the notions uh, and relations in the Trinity. Um, but one of them obviously is paternity. And in, in one of the uh, questions, in question 28, Article 4 of the Prima Pars, St. Thomas says, The relation of the principle of generation in perfect living things is called paternity. So that's sort of the first notion of fatherhood, namely um, the when we say father, we're, we're using a word that is a relative word. It denotes a relation. And the... A relation we're talking about is the relation of the principle, the beginning of generation in perfect living things. Um, so that's what we call father or fatherhood in, um, at least among, in the natural world that we see. But we see that this applies to God, uh, especially in the relation of the Trinity from the, the, the father to the son. But uh, he continues, as we said before, in this in this uh, third article of question 33, um, St. Thomas has a very interesting thing here. In the Catechism of the Council of Trent, it seemed like we are using the word fatherhood from human uh, beings, and then we apply it to God by analogy, which is true. And I think that's really the case in the order of our learning. This natural world is sort of a ladder 
a stepping stone by which we can learn about things that are above our nature. So we, we first learn about fatherhood and fathers um, through our own parents. Um, but I think St. Thomas is actually saying that the word father and fatherhood really applies to God more perfectly than it does to our own fathers on this earth. And so in, this, in the body of the article, uh, this third article, he says, he says, a name is applied to that wherein is perfectly contained its whole signification before it is applied to that which only partially contains it. For the latter bears the name by reason of a kind of similitude to that which answers perfectly to the signification of the name. And so he gives an example. He says, uh, the name lion is applied first to the animal containing the whole nature of a lion. And then later on, it might be applied to a man who shows something of a lion's nature as courage or strength. And so he first gives us that example, that we first apply the name lion to, a, to the animal because he, he contains the perfection of that, uh, of the signification of that uh, word. Um, but then later on, we can apply it to, uh, to human beings that are especially courageous. We say he's a, I guess, like Richard the Lionhearted or something like that. Um, so then he continues. He says that, uh, he, ta he starts talking about, well, where, where's the name father and fatherhood most perfectly contained? So he says, now it is manifest from the foregoing that the perfect idea of paternity and filiation is to be found in God the Father and in God the Son, because one is the nature and glory of the Father and the Son. But in the creature, filiation is found in relation to God, not in a perfect manner, since the creator and the creature have not the same nature. And so there, I would just make the comment that it appears to me that really the word fatherhood or father applies to the principle of generation where that which is generated is identical in nature to the principle. So... Clearly, we see that with God the Father and God the Son. Uh, God the Father is the principle um, in that uh, generation. I sort of uh, hesitate to use the same words that we use here, but he's, he's the principle. And God the Son is identical in nature, and as we shall see later, is equal to the Father. Um, and so there's, the, there's a perfect relation there. And so, therefore, we would say that the name fatherhood is applied most perfectly to God. But St. Thomas says, um, it's not uh, when we call God our Father, we're using the term in a somewhat extended sense because the creature and the creator do not have the same nature. And, and so then he continues in this article showing at least four ways that the creature um, might refer to the creator as father uh, by a certain likeness. So he says, For God is called the father of some creatures by reason only of a trace. For, ex for instance, of irrational creatures, according to Job chapter 38, verse 28, it says, Who is the father of the rain, or who begot the drops of dew? So that's an interesting uh, text. Who is the father of the rain? 
And I think St. Thomas is saying the all creatures, even inanimate creatures, bear some trace. There's some similitude to the principle of generation, and therefore, <clears throat> therefore, we might use the word fatherhood. Um, there, God is the father of the rain. Uh, but then St. Thomas says, he says, of some, namely the rational creature, he is the father by reason of the likeness of his image, according to De Deuteronomy 32.6. Is he not thy father who possessed and made and created thee? And so there we think about um, how man is created in the image and likeness of God uh, to the extent that uh, man is a creature with an intellect and a will, and to that extent, he is has a similitude to the principle of his generation, namely God. And so, therefore, that's a much stronger similitude. St. Uh, Thomas continues in this article, And of others, he is the father by the similitude of grace. And these are also called adoptive sons, as ordained to the heritage of eternal glory by the gift of grace, which they have received, according to Romans 8, verse 16 and 17. The Spirit himself gives testimony to our spirit that we are the sons of God and of sons heirs also. And we saw that that was the same text cited in the Catechism of the Council of Trent. But there we have this notion of being adopted. Uh, God is our Father because we are adopted as his sons, by the gift of grace, and we are ordained to the heritage of eternal glory. So that's a that's a, yet a third sense in which we might say God is our Father, uh, our Father by grace. Uh, he concludes, he says, Lastly, he is the Father of others by the similitude of glory. For as much as they have obtained possession of the heritage of glory, according to Romans 5.2, we glory in the hope of the glory of the sons of God. And so uh, that's, the, that's the last idea or sense of the word fatherhood that St. Thomas gives in this article. The, the, again, he gives us four reasons. If God is our father, God can be a father by the, by the trace of his image, like, the, like in, in, in inanimate creatures. He is our father because uh, of the likeness of image, such as with rational creatures, we are in God's image and likeness. Um, then he says, we, God is our father by the similitude of grace, uh, whereby we might be called adopted. And fourth, he says, God is our father um, because of the similitude or likeness of glory. We glory in the hope of the glory of the sons of God. So that's a very interesting um, article here because um, we can see that really the, the fatherhood of God applies obviously uh, most uh, with the fullest signification to his own son and then in these uh, lesser significations to uh, the creature. And uh, so so that's the... That's the uh, that's what St. Thomas says about the fatherhood. When we say, I believe in God, the Father, we can have uh, at least four different things in mind there um, about what that means. 
And uh, we'll just continue a little further here in the, in the Catechism of the Council of Trent. The next subheading is that the, the name Father also discloses the plurality of persons in God. And so here we see that uh, when we say, I believe in God the Father, it's not only a word that signifies our relation to God, but it also reveals something about God himself and the Trinity. So the Catechism says, But the pastor should teach that on hearing the word Father, besides the ideas already unfolded, the mind should rise to more exalted mysteries. Under the name Father, the divine oracles begin to unveil to us a mysterious truth, which is more abstruse and more deeply hidden in that inaccessible light in which God dwells, and which human reason and understanding could not attain to, nor even conjecture to exist. This name implies that in the one essence of the Godhead is proposed to our belief not only one person, but a distinction of persons. For in one divine nature there are three persons, the Father, begotten of none, the Son, begotten of the Father before all ages, the Holy Ghost proceeding from the Father and the Son, likewise from all eternity. And so clearly the Catechism of the Council of Trent it begins a little discussion about the Trinity. And already uh, we see that uh, the Father's... Um, guided again, perhaps, uh, by the, um, the, the authors of this catechism, guided by St. Thomas and um, other um, fathers of the church that wrote about the Trinity, start talking about uh, this very, this very uh, mysterious thing in which we think of the three persons. But um, I think in, a, in, a, in our next episode, we might dwell a little bit about the various things that St. Thomas says about the Trinity, at least in brief, including the fact that uh, um, there's sort of a little mode whereby we can learn to count here. We say there are there is one God, there are two processions, there are three persons, there are four relations, and there are five notions. So we can teach our um, little uh, children to count this way on one hand. They can count up to five, and we should be able to say something about the, the processions, the persons, the relations, and the notions that exist in God. And so, but I think we'll save that for a, a separate, um, a separate edition. I get perhaps day nine. And so, I think that's I think that's where we should stop today. Thank you for joining me in this episode of exploring the Catechism of the Council of Trent in a year. Uh, please join me again next time as we delve further into this um, word Father and uh, how it signifies uh, the Trinity. I'm Mark Langley, and I'm, um, may God grant us all a continued increase of faith as we study this marvelous catechism. 